Way of Oneness. Hi everyone, I'm Christopher Kakuyo Sensei, and I'm a Sensei of the Salt Lake Buddhist Fellowship. We are an independent, transsectarian, all-inclusive American Sangha in the Mahayana tradition. The Way of Oneness podcast is a collection of our Dharma talks, delivered at our Salt Lake City Fellowship Sangha. Enjoy the Dharma talk. For today's Dharma talk, I've titled the talk, Already Broken. And I want to start by sharing a story that Mark Epstein, who's one of the first therapists in the 70s who integrated Buddhist philosophy and Buddhist practice in psychotherapy. The story is about the interaction that he had when he was a young man with uh, Ajahn Chah, who was his teacher. So some years ago, they were sitting around and someone was asking the master how there can be real happiness in a world that is constantly changing, where nothing stays the same and where loss and sorrow are so much a part of the human experience. Where do we find security and peace in such a world, was the question. Ajahn Shah, smiling, held up a glass that he had been drinking water from and said the following, You see this goblet? For me, this glass is already broken. I enjoy it. I drink out of it. I, it holds my water admirably, sometimes even reflecting the sun in beautiful patterns. If I should tap it, it has a lovely ring to it. But when I put this glass on a shelf and the wind knocks it over, or my elbow brushes it off the table and it falls to the ground and shatters, I say, of course. When I understand that this glass is already broken, every moment with it is precious. Every moment is just as it is, and nothing needs to be otherwise. I really appreciate the lines where he says, when I understand that the glass is already broken, every moment with it is precious. Now, and I just love this about Buddhist thought, that every moment with a simple drinking glass can be meaningful when we understand the insight of impermanence. How more when we can apply this understanding to the relationships in our lives, from our families, our friends, our communities, even with the driver who's driving 30 in a 50. Last Sunday, we touched on this when we were sharing about the first mark of existence, anicca, or impermanence. And today, I want to go a little deeper into that. So the Buddha is called many different things, and one of them is great physician. And his approach is much like that. He diagnoses the problem and then shares the medicine that will cure the illness, the pain, or the dis-ease. That is what his teachings are, a way out of ignorance and suffering. The Buddha was well aware of the condition 
of impermanence from his own experience as a human. Before he was Buddha, he was Siddhartha Gautama, a man. He was even more aware of the struggles of being human as he set out on his journey to find answers to suffering, death, and the endless cycle of rebirth. After six long years of practice and a whole bunch of dead ends, he finally reached his awakening experience under the Bodhi tree. At the heart of this experience was the realization of what is called Praticha Samupada, which is translated as dependent arising. It is the key principle in Buddhist teachings, which states that all phenomena arise in dependence upon other phenomena. If this exists, that exists. If this ceases to exist, that also ceases to exist. Everything is interdependent and relative to one another. This is the heart of impermanence, because all things, all phenomena arise out of conditions. And when those conditions cease, that thing that arose vanishes or transforms into something else. That is why the Buddha taught all conditioned things have the nature of vanishing. Many scholars believe that it was this first lesson that the Buddha taught, not the more detailed Four Noble Truths and Eightfold Eightfold Path. It's important to see why this is important. The Buddha discovered at the heart of reality was Anicca, the constant arising and fading, appearing and vanishing, this state of constantly becoming, as Guillaume Kabose Sensei so beautifully puts it, this state of constantly becoming. As the great physician, he saw that one of the reasons we suffer is that we do not understand this truth at the root of existence. We see it all around us, the change of seasons, the ebb and flow of likes and dislikes of loves and hates, growing old and dying. Impermanence is all around us. All of existence is teaching us this eternal law of nature, and we acknowledge it intellectually, but our relationship with it is not intimate. We keep the reality of impermanence at arm's length. We fight against it, and we're good at keeping it abstract and conceptual. Maybe until the death of a loved one or a friend, or the brokenheartedness that comes at the end of a marriage, or a love affair that brings impermanence into our hearts. And yet, many times, even with this reality, we somehow think that we can be outside this eternal law. If we work hard enough, do the right things, say the right things, control ourselves and those around us, if we calculate and scheme and formulate, we can live in a world of solidity. We live in a cloak of denial, believing that we need what we need to be safe and free is for things to be permanent, unchanging, and secure. We go through our lives trying to control change. And how is that working for you so far? We misperceive reality as solid. The Buddha realized that there is nothing solid in reality just the appearance of solidity. Continuity is not the same thing as permanence. 
Solidity is an illusion that keeps us stuck in suffering. Here are some great lines from George Leonard in his book, The Silent Pulse, A Search for the Perfect perfect Rhythm in Each of Us. Quote, of what is the body made? It is made of emptiness and rhythm. At the ultimate heart of the body, at the heart of the world, there is no solidity. There is only the dance. And I love this quote from David Barash in his book, Buddhist Bi Biology. Quote, even inanimate objects that appear solid in persistence are revealed by modern physics to be in a constant state of flux. An iron bar is mostly empty space, and even ostensibly solid subatomic particles occupying the space are either moving so rapidly as to be unimaginable or alternately exist as clouds of probability rather than stationary monuments to permanence. So, do you, so when you're a kid and you saw the picture of the atom, what does it look like? These little things going around, you know, kind of like the stars and the moon and the sun. It ain't like that. It ain't like that. They're moving in a field somewhere. And when you look at it, it might be there, it might be there, it might be there, it might be there. But nobody knows exactly where they are. They are in a field of space, constantly moving. So we learn from the Buddha's awakening that nature of existence is change, but not just change of life and death, but continuous change every moment and every breath. Again from Barash, quote, New atoms are incorporated into our bodies at every moment, and old, one, old ones are rearranged. While some are pushed out, every few days we essentially recycle ourselves, reminiscent of an old advertising jingle for milk. There's a new you coming every day. Except it's more like every hour, every minute, every second, every instant, every breath. Anyway. We think we are solid. We want things to be static, the same, controllable, digestible, consistent, stable. We think we will finally be happy when we achieve stasis, but stasis is an illusion also. We fight against impermanence, not just the impermanence of life itself, but of everything as a species and as individuals. When we argue with reality, with how things are instead of how we think they are supposed to be, we are arguing with impermanence. We are arguing with how things are, how foolish we can be. We do this even with the smallest of things. Everything changes. Even the flow of traffic on our way to work is of the nature to change. And yet, when traffic suddenly slows down or stops, we get angry, frustrated. We suffer because we're denying the flow of traffic. How much more dysfunctional is our relationship with impermanence and the more meaningful things of our lives? Impermanence is important for us and our relationship with existence. Yoshida Kenko observed in his classic essay on idleness, quote, if man were never, if man were never to fade away like the dews of Adashino, never to vanish like the smoke over Teyayama, 
how would things, how things would lose their power to move us. One of the most important things that all the Buddha ancestors have been trying to teach us is the ephemeral nature of what we think reality is. They are calling us to wake up and become Buddhas. But before we, we need to be able to dive into the experience, the reality of impermanence, not just for ourselves, but the impermanence of all things. From the Diamond Sutra. So you should view this fleeting world, a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom, and a dream. Or Dogen, the father of Japanese Zen, when responding to the question, what is the world? And his response, the world, the world, moonlit drops shaken from the crane's bill. Also from Dogen, one must be deeply aware of impermanence of the world. And Elas Kassam, to know yourself, you must know the transience of yourself. In Japan, this intimacy with impermanence is captured in the phrase mono no aware, which is an empathy towards things or a sympathy and sensitivity to ephemera. It is an awareness of the impermanence of things, both a transient gentle sadness at their passing as well as a deeper, gentle sadness about the reality of everything else being impermanent. Awareness of transience of all things heightens our appreciation of their beauty and meaning. Without an intimacy with impermanence, our whole lives are spent in what we can do or will do or need to do tomorrow. We live so much of our lives not in today, but in tomorrow or in the past because we don't really believe in our own impermanence. We think we have time, but we don't. Just as Dave was saying with his father and his experience with his children, it's like that. It's a flash. And we've been asked to wake up by all the Buddhas. Our lives become lives lacking a deep transformative gratitude when we are unaware of impermanence and a subtle but stifling entitlement is the effect of our denial of impermanence. Somehow we think we are entitled to tomorrow, you are not. In the zendo of a Zen monastery, there's a thing called a han. The han is a square board, and inscribed on it are kanji. Whoever the, the leader of the ceremony is, he'll bang on this. And it's not a pretty sound. It's not like our lovely bell. It's so lovely. It is a clank, and it is, and they hit it hard. And when this is struck, the monk knows that it's time to come in or retire to bed 
or for Teisho to take place. And what does it say on that word in kanji? It says, great is the matter of birth and death. Life flows quickly by. Time waits for no one. Wake up, wake up. Don't waste a moment. Without this realization, impermanence of our misperceived notion of time can steal our days and our energy. And I love this from Dogen. And this, I need to put this up on my TV when I go to uh, watch Netflix. Why does the passage of time steal your endeavor? What kind of enemy is the passage of time? How regrettable was your time because of distraction? If you do not know yourself, you will not be able to be your own ally on this great undertaking. End quote. As we realize, as we experience impermanence, we are finally and truly able to let go all the bullshit. The interesting thing is that as we cultivate and experience a deeper awareness and a relationship with impermanence, something happens. We become more compassionate and moved by existence itself. We gain a deeper appreciation for everything, especially aware of the flow of now and more present within it. We need impermanence for life to have real meaning or we will squander the time we have. So how do we cultivate a more intimate relationship with impermanence? We become willing students of her lessons and we do what we need to do to meet her face to face. I love this from Alan Watts. Quote, the only way to make sense out of change is to plunge into it, move with it, and join the dance. End quote. What I am learning about impermanence is that life is continual change, movement, flow. Even who and what we think we are is not a thing, but a process. Not an island, but a river. In my own practice, the teachings of Diome Kabose Sensei of impermanence as continual becoming is helping me develop a more intimate relationship with impermanence. In his book, Everyday Suchness, in the chapter, The Life of Becoming, the truth of impermanence or our continual change is constantly revealing the truth to us. From Diome Sensei, quote, life is changing. All things are changing. All conditions are changing. So let things go. All abuse, anger, criticism, let them come and let them go. Whatever we do, we should do sincerely and honestly and with full strength. And when it's done, it's done. Many people get attached to the past or the future and neglect the important present. We must live now in the now with full responsibility, end quote. With full responsibility. 
What do you think that means? What do you think that means to live with full responsibility? I love the idea of responsibility and the root of responsibility is response. It's a response to life. It's a responsibility. It's that ability to respond to life wholeheartedly with engagement and accountability. There's a lot of power in that. I think one of the ways that we can take full responsibility is a practice called the five remembrances. And this is responsibility in a sense of response to reality. So how many of you know the five, the five remembrances? Maybe practice them from time to time. Hey, good. <laughs> good. Something new. And I'll post this on the Facebook page so you can use this and take it home with you. Okay, or you can print it up. If you have a spot of special tranquility or an altar or a meditation area or a place where you put up aspirational quotes. Now, this is all part of Buddhist practice. I am of nature to grow old. There is no way to escape growing old. I am of the nature to have ill health. There is no way to escape ill health. I am of the nature to die. There is no way to escape death. All that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature of change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. I am the owner of my actions, heir of my actions. Actions are the womb from which I have sprung. Actions are my relations. Actions are my protection. Whatever action I do, good or bad, of these I shall become heir. And somebody said, can we just start the morning with a nicer affirmation? <laughs> And I look in the mirror and go, you're beautiful and people love you. Yes, but the point I want to say is this is a beautiful affirmation. This is a beautiful affirmation. Because when we hug our children goodbye in the morning, or we hug our spouse or our lover or our friend, and we are not aware of their impermanence, we cannot truly embrace and appreciate their very existence. And as Dogen says, this passage of time that pulls strength from your endeavor, it's not the awareness of impermanence, but it is our denial of impermanence. Uh, one teacher from um, the Zen Naturalist Society says a really great practice to this, is when you hug someone goodbye or you hug someone hello, remember all that is dear to me and everyone I love are nature of change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. And you hold them, you know that, and you honor that, and you honor the fact that you are hugging them now. And you can feel their breath in that hug. And that makes even the smallest thing more meaningful and more profound. With this understanding, we can be present in life, in the flow of now, 
our action, our action that it talks about in the five remembrances is to be intimate with the becoming. As Guillaume Cabose Sensei writes, when the sun shines, enjoy it. And when it rains, enjoy it. All things in life, let them come, let them go. Real happiness always in the state of becoming, because truth is always in the becoming. In the becoming, there is freedom and naturalness and no artificiality. Happiness is in the present, and only by living in the present is real happiness achieved. The truth of life is in the becoming, that everything is becoming. The truth and beauty are in this change. Trees and flowers are beautiful because they change. Real happiness is in the embrace and the appreciation of impermanence. Profound joy and gratitude are born in this awareness. The power and the beauty of the flow of now is revealed. And I want to close with these words from Paul Fleshman. Impermanence is what we run from. Impermanence is what we fear. Impermanence is what we join forces against in attempt to smash. Impermanence is the destruction of our personal power, the loss of our world as we know it. But the experience of impermanence, a precious and fortunate opportunity, which one develops slowly, it is said over lifetimes, the actual direct experience as opposed to our images, bugaboos, and sideways glances, the experience of impermanence is simple, clear, a fact like the wind. The experience of impermanence leaves one floating on the exfoliating, impersonal truth, the ocean of life. The flood of life need not drown us. It can instead buoy us up if we learn how to swim. The experience of impermanence is the place to plunge in and be turned into a fish, a wave, a fleck of foam on the surging expanse of life itself. And Thank you for listening to our podcast. The Way of Oneness is produced by the Salt Lake City Buddhist Fellowship, an all-inclusive, trans-sectarian American Sangha in the spirit of Bright Dawn Way of Oneness Buddhism. To learn more about the Fellowship, please contact us at saltlakebuddhist.org Our website will give information about meetings and other services that we provide the community. Again, thank you for listening.